Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to How to Raise Money. And I am not, I've swapped Ray, I've got rid of Ray today, uh, but it's obviously still with me, Nigel T. Best. But I'm here with a, a very interesting chap who is going to tell us all about some of the things he has been up to and some of the things that he is now up to and the reasons why he's got to this point and how being part of what he's talking about and what he's doing could seriously affect your wealth in a very positive way. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast, Mr. Stephen Wallace. Stephen. Hi, Nigel. Hi. Thanks, how, thanks how for having me on. Yeah, hey, it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I mean, we've just been chatting. Uh, it's fascinating where you have come from, what you've been involved in, some of which we can talk about, some of which uh, I always love someone with a, who says, I'm not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> always gives intrigue. So, um, yeah, if you want to just introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, my name's Stephen Wallace. I um, live up in North Yorkshire these days, originally from Hertfordshire, moved around quite a bit, uh, including travelling stints uh, around Australia, New Zealand and South America. And South America, hang on, yeah. I'm just going to chuck in here, folks, that he learned to be fluent in Spanish in two months. Well, yeah, not quite fluent, but I could chat with taxi drivers and everyone. Yeah, I think my wife was a bit surprised when I picked her up from Lima Airport. I was then babbling to the taxi driver all the way back to the airport. Uh, okay, so if that hasn't made you feel, you know, that you don't like Stephen already, <laughs> let's let's hope we can turn it around and get him back on side. So yes, you did yeah. travelling, yeah, but um, but yeah, my background mainly is um, well, I stumbled into financial services. So I went to Nottingham Trent University, so the the ex poly, um, but they had a great business school. Uh, everyone, I, everyone actually on my course or people I know has done extremely well out of this old poly. Um, we all had to go on a placement year. I think that helped. So uh, my third year out of four, I went and worked for Bass Brewers. Um, nice. so my dad was a, he was a wine buyer for them, uh, and he managed to get me a job in the finance department. Um, yeah, and all I remember is playing football, um, getting free beer, and uh, yeah, learning a bit about finance and, and accounting. Yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah, in between. Yeah, half time. Exactly. Is that, that half time of the football? Uh, let's learn. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of playing football at lunch. They were like two-hour lunch, lunch breaks. Two-hour lunch breaks. Those were the days. They were, yeah. yeah. Ten and a half grand a year, and you felt like you were a millionaire. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, then I, I finished university, uh, went travelling for a year, um, which actually included a bit of football coaching, which is my sort of side skill. I'm a level two qualified coach. I've done a summer in America, coached at Sydney Grammar School. That's the best one. Um, yeah, and all over the UK as well. But the, the sort of the stuff that actually pays the bills is finance. So I studied financial services and stumbled into a job at Standard and Poor's in the lead up to the financial crisis, which was quite interesting. Yeah, and uh, yes, I'm sure there's many a tale you could tell about um, that, but we will move on swiftly. So yeah, yeah. So I um, basically I, yeah, I worked in structured finance, um, but I felt like I was getting pigeonholed. So I wanted to learn a bit more broader uh, financial analysis skills. I'd, I'd seen. R- kind of what it was when I was at Bass and thought, okay, I like numbers. I like analyzing stuff. Where can I go to learn a bit more about this? So we moved to Bauer Media on Shaftesbury Avenue in London. Um, I had a great sort of couple of years there. Um, 
but it was analyzing uh, analy- analyzing advertising spend uh, in magazines and the financial crisis hit and all the money went out of advertising. So they halved our team, made me redundant, which paid for the South America trip. There we go. Yeah. So every cloud has a silver yeah, it lining. It definitely does, yeah. yeah. Especially because I was thinking of leaving anyway and then they made me redundant, which is always the best situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I came back and yeah, things, things were better. This was now 2010. Um, had my first attempt at a startup business, realized I needed a load of money for marketing, didn't have it. Um, so I decided to go out and get a job uh, again. And I worked for Elevon doing credit and fraud analysis, which um, yeah, I ended up really enjoying. Um, yeah, analyzing the, the people who are trying to rip you off and the ones who just can't pay and you're trying to find the right solution. Because one of the things that when we were talking about this earlier, uh, you were saying that you were amazed at how much time and effort and money is spent on getting a sale and how little focus there was on actually making that sale the person pay. It's so much easier. So much easier to get someone to pay you back. Well, especially B2B. Uh, B2C can be harder, you know, trying to get someone who really doesn't have the money to pay you. Um, working out a solution can be... But working out so your yeah. payment plans are great. You know, that's always been one of my favorite solutions for people, just find an amount they can afford per month and just get it back over a longer period of time. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, but in terms of the risks, yeah, I couldn't believe that as soon when you get a recovery, um, so if it's, you know, two days late or 180 days late, it goes straight to the bottom line. It's pure profit normally, especially if you've written it off entirely. So it's profit, whereas you've got everyone working really hard and spending loads of money on marketing to try and get that sale, but you don't even know if they're going to pay you. Um, whereas when you get money from the back end, the recovery, it's normally pure profit, uh, which I just found way more interesting. There you go. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that you did that for a while? Yeah, so that was at Elevon. Yeah, good company owned by US Bancorp, so big US parent, um, yeah, I used to travel quite a bit. It was a, it was a really good job. Worked with some really smart people there. Um, and one of the guys I worked with, who was the head of credit risk, he had joined a fintech uh, company, two hundred employees out of Finland. Um, they were doing consumer lending. Um, yeah, and he said, "Do you want to come and do some risk analysis?" Uh, so I went there um, and got a grip on their loss provisioning, uh, their recoveries. I became head of collections across twenty three countries. Um, so working closely with the local. Um, country manager which is basically the CEO and trying to help them to get more of their money back that they're owed. Really enjoyed it. It was, it was great fun. But after I moved into a job as chief risk officer of the bank in Malta, they've got a banking license while I was there. They've actually placed on the German stock exchange. They're quite a big success story, this company. Um, and yeah, and then became CRO of the bank, but they burnt me out. Basically, my department was me um, and good old PwC decided to basically burn me out over the space of a few months last year. And when you say that, that was, they put such pressure on you to uh, produce a report that normally a banking uh, organisation that would have to produce that report would have a team of people, um, a lot of skills in there, and they'd be doing that as a normal course of events. This wasn't the sort of job that you give as you don't tag it on to someone as a, oh, by the way, can you do this report for us? No, no. And and also, the chief risk officer, there's like these three lines of defense for anyone who knows all the Basel stuff. So I was the second, and actually, it should be the first line of defense doing, and actually, the first line people, the account, like accounting people and some of the ops guys, they did help. But the onus to actually get something produced was still on me. So, um, yeah, it was actually not one report, there was like three in the space of about three months, and they were all at least 100 pages each. Um, nice. Yeah, so not much fun, and the burnout resulted in uh, me collapsing on a Ryanair flight coming back from Bratislava just after I finished that work, actually. 
So I came back and said to my wife, I'm quitting tomorrow, and she said, good. There you go. So, uh, you know, sometimes we can't realise, well, we don't see what's happening to us, do we, as we try and do these things. But uh, fortunately for you, it gave you a, a chance to pause and think about various other things. And we were talking that when you were saying um, you love the concept of multiple streams of income, yeah. so you're not reliant on any one thing. I know you've got a number of them going at the moment. It also gave you time to pause and think and say, okay, where could I help people? Yeah. And that has led on to what you have uh, kind of developed. So if you want to say what it is and, yeah. and how it can help people. Yeah, thanks, Nigel. So, um, yeah, so what happened was I my first aim was to get a non-exec role. Uh, I liked the idea that I could work fewer hours, get a nice hourly rate, maybe have a couple of them, and uh, and that would probably cover off our fairly frugal outgoings. To and, be and help companies. And help the with companies. Knowledge. Yeah, because I really felt I could help, even though I was young, um, fairly inexperienced. I had the chief risk officer role under my belt, so felt that that was good enough. Um to take the next step up, I'd also work with quite a few boards and thought I could I could do this. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah the finance and risk background, you know, it helps a lot with that stuff. Um, so the aim is to get one. I thought it was going to be really easy, and it's not. Um, it took me a year. <laughs> it took me a year to the day actually to land it. The the one at Rebuilding Society uh, in Leeds, um, and that was just by getting really focused on the networking. So that's that's one tip I'd say to everyone now. If you're looking, especially something like non-exec work, which is quite um, competitive, just get really focused I was going to say swear word there but just get really focused um I just started attending fintech events around Leeds um got Expl- to know some people. I was going to say explain fintech oh yeah financial technology sorry yeah. sorry financial technology which is um it's great there's tons of money getting piled into it if there's anyone listening to this who's you know approaching the end of a degree course look at it as a career option there's loads of money getting invested into it there's really good jobs really good career prospects um and it's typically, it's typically really what is it oh yeah so uh, it could be anything. Uh, so Stripe would probably be classed as fintech. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, it's a really smart Irish. So Stripe, Stripe is a, a, like a PayPal alternative. Yeah, and the two Irish guys. I think they're still in their twenties, aren't they? You know, I think they became the youngest self-made billionaires ever. Yeah, they uh, smart cookies. They basically yeah. so financial technology is disrupting an industry. So banking is slow. It's old. Everything is done very you know in the old school way. If you can come in and do it better, you will disrupt that industry. So Stripe have done, I'm trying to think of all the different ones now, but Stripe are great. Um, peer-to-peer lending, which is what um, Rebuilding Society do. So they lend to businesses. So Funding Circle just did the IPO. Funding Circle are the most well-known in that industry. Um, you've then got property equity crowdfunding or any other type of crowdfunding like Cedars and Crowdcube. Um, it's anything finance-based with a technology-leaning. So my last company were the same. They um, took lending online, you know, consumer lending. Um, yeah, so it could be, yeah, it's very It's, it's different and ways. it's always going to evolve. It's just, there's just going to be more and more stuff. Yeah, well. so what you're talking about here is what we often talk about, and this is, this is my chance to go into my toothpaste run of, of the Crest model. So you're looking at trust here. So obviously Stephen's there networking, trying to build uh, the trust with someone that says, okay, yeah, you'd be good for the board uh, as a non-exec to help the company. You've got the experience, and um, we've seen you. We've got to know you. Uh, we we trust you to be able to add value. So that's one bit of it. Um, uh, the Crest bit, if people are thinking, what the hell's he on about? Uh, as a kid, I used to use Crest toothpaste, and whenever we mention the Crest model, I always think of the toothpaste. And I'm still awaiting a tube of toothpaste <laughs> in the post, however... However, I, I get distracted at that point. But 
there's that, but also the fintech stuff, it is all about, um, people talk about the speed of money, and uh, money, you tend to get better returns uh, if the speed increases, and these, uh, these fintech revolution has been how to move money, make transactions, raising money, using money much, much quicker, and this is where they've stolen a march on the banks, yeah. who were very traditional. And as you just um, prompted one of my favourite ones, so TransferWise out of Estonia, I think they're Estonian guys, um, they've made money transfer, you know, as well, way better. They've actually taken Western Union's cake, you know, so a company that weren't well, even a you know, big bank. Oh, yeah. they. So Western Union was the one that you always used to see in the news agent. TransferWise now, check them out first. Um, yeah, and actually, it, it's quite funny how the last company I worked for, they were a Scandinavian. So I'd never really worked with Scandinavians. I worked with American companies a lot and people around Europe. But um, yeah, this is a Finnish company. Um, yeah, and having to work across 23 countries as well, the cultural stuff is, is interesting. But anyway, the, the Scandinavian thing is interesting because apparently loads of fintechs and other tech companies come out of Scandinavia. And I remember asking colleagues, I was like, why, why does that happen? He said, well, because in winter, you only get four days of sunlight, so everyone's at home coding. There's no reason to go out. We may as well just code and make up new products and services. Hey, wow, there you go. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> right, we've, we've got a track because we still haven't Sorry. hit on where, yeah. where you are at and, and the thing that you are uh, really passionate about and, and really excited about um, when we were talking about this earlier and when we've spoken before because this is something that can help an awful lot of people, and it's something that you spotted. A lot of what we're talking about here, fintech, all these things, it's people spotting a problem and being able to give a solution. And you spotted a problem and said, right, look, I can help with this. I can yeah. come up with a solution. So yeah, what sure. is it? What's it called? Yeah, so the company's called Gorilla Investors. and the, the easiest... Not Gorilla, not uh, so £200 not... silverbacks. No, no, but apparently if you Google that, you'll find some Hong Kong company, I think, if you type is it? in. Yeah, right, so yeah. this is Gorilla GUE. GUE, yeah, so the Freedom yeah. Fighters, basically fighting for independence. So, there you um, go. Yeah, so that's how you can kind of understand where it's going. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's basically appealing to people, which is most of us who weren't taught risk analysis or financial education at school. So... Luckily, pretty, I'm guessing that that was pretty much everyone. Pretty much everyone. I don't remember that lesson. No, no. So, you know, the entrepreneur ones as well, you know, I don't think any of us remember those. But the, the kids now are starting to be taught it. They're starting to learn about compounding and, you know, all the really important stuff to learn when you're a kid. But we weren't. So everyone's come out, gone out and got jobs, and they've potentially got a good job. And they've got a sat, they've got a wad of money sat there. They're cash rich, time poor, don't know what to do with that wad of cash. They're investing all their money in their pension, which is great. Um, but your pension is probably 100% linked to the stock market. So that's fine as well. However, wouldn't you like to be a bit more slightly diversified? So if the stock market tanked, and it's already tanking a bit at the moment, um, wouldn't you like to know you had options? So wouldn't, like, wouldn't you like to know that there's actually peer-to-peer um, -peer business lending out there, there's property equity crowdfunding out there, there's sports betting even, litigation funding, business acquisition, all these all right, these are, These are things. So you are already, I can see your risk brain is already there and it's saying, okay, folks, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You need to look at other things. Uh, you need to understand these other markets. And these are not markets. I mean, if, if I was... I wouldn't even know where I would go for a list of alternative investments. So this is one of the reasons why you set this up. Yeah, that's right. To be the, the place to go to to do this. Yeah, I like, I've always liked all stuff, alternative. It's my favourite type of music, favourite type of films and everything. But alternative... Favourite key on the keyboard? 
favorite key on the keyboard oh, <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alt J there's a band called, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So why? Um, well, we'd started investing our own money into these types of things. I'd gone away, analysed, analysed, worked stuff out, taken a credit risk approach, um, but then taken action. So we've actually invested in a lot of alternative stuff ourselves over the last month, uh, sorry, last year and a half. So I did okay on Bitcoin and Ethereum last year. I've got mates who did far better. Um, but we've invested in property equity crowdfunding as well, just gone into litigation funding as well. So when litigation I, funding, so talk me through that. Yeah, I won't. I won't go too much into it. That's all right, just because it's coming up in a guide in a few months. But there you but, go. What a what a great sort of link to yeah, something in the future. Exactly. So this, when you talk about it's coming up in a guide, this is a mm. guide that is through your. Yeah. So your maybe business. yeah, I'll talk really briefly about litigation funding because that was a the question, and I'll talk about the guide. So um, legal aid disappeared in I think 2010. I'd have to check when I'm writing it. But, um, but basically, people who can't afford to get a case to the point where you're trying to get a bank to settle or you know somebody to settle, um, people who can't afford to get it to that point have no options, basically. So apparently, a lot of institutional money is piling into this at the moment. So um, because there's good profit shares at the end, if you're successful, um, but it's now open to individuals as well, not just high net worth and sophisticated in every instance. Sometimes it's retail customers that can invest in this. But I'll try not to go into too much. That's all right. No, no, no. Yeah. That's that's fine. But essentially, it's someone who's got a case. They need funding to take the case to court. Yeah. Someone would look at that. They'd analyse the risk and say, mm, "I think there's a good chance, a strong chance of that case winning." Yeah. I'll be happy to put my one pound seventy-five into your fund. There you go. Uh, to try and get a return on it. There you go. And that, and I've had, I've looked at quite a few different areas. This isn't mis-selling, by the way. It's breach of contract, which I like as well. So someone worked something out wrongly on a spreadsheet. Um, I can imagine how it happened. Uh, and now there's a case to be had. Um, if, you, if, if you can get funding for your case. Okay. But, but coming back right, to the yeah. guy, so this, this, but this does all fit into the same thing. So yeah, so how are you so helping people? Yeah, so how, how does the, your business help people? Yeah. So we're talking about how to raise money. Uh, in many instances, it's not only how to raise money, but how to invest that money mm-hmm. in a more sensible and better way that that spreads the risk, but still gives you great returns. And you're kind of breaking this down. Yeah, that's the idea. So yeah, like coming back to the school stuff. So you weren't taught it in school. So that means you're probably a retail investor now. That means you can get access to what the regulator says you can get access to. If you want to find out about anything, you have to either be a high net worth individual or a sophisticated investor. So and just be, quickly recap those. Yeah. So, so high net worth means you either earn 100 grand last year or you've got 250 grand plus outside of your main residence to, to invest. Sophisticated investor, there's a bunch of break, things that are broken down. Actually, you get that as a guide explained when you just sign up for the daily email. So it's a free thing that you get from Guerrilla Investors. But the crux of sophisticated investor is you've invested in unregulated or non-listed stuff. So you understand that there's something else out there. You've taken a punt, maybe, um, and you do also hopefully understand that you shouldn't put all your money into one thing. So So in essence, a sophisticated investor is someone who should be more worldly-wise and aware of the potential risks in something. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the investment itself is risky. Yeah, that's true. And actually, this is one of my favorite things. So... Um, so the stuff that I then talk about in the guides are things which they, they are risky. Well, it just comes back to just don't stick all your money in it. You know, stick a, a certain proportion of your net worth into it, dip your toe, then maybe go a bit deeper. 
And that was what we did with Bitcoin. I bought like 30 quids worth the first time just to make sure I could get it all to work. Then we put a bit more in. Um, and we've done the same with the property equity crowdfunding. We split by geography, by maturity, by amount, by type of development as well, by you know getting to know the developers and the senior management quite well. So I then condense all this stuff that I've been doing for the last year, year and a half into some guides which say, you can learn what something is by Googling it. You can find out what litigation funding is, but do you know what to do? And what the guides will teach you is what to do. Okay, but this is educational. This is not advisory in any way, shape or form. Just as a total disclaimer here, yeah, in yeah. case anyone's sort of saying, is this, uh, you know, are you correctly regulated for all that? Well, this is education. Correct, yeah. This is telling you what it is and, and what you could do with it. Yeah, so there'll be no opinion, no recommendation, no advice, no inducement. Um, I've even engaged a, a compliance guy in London to help me out with what I can and can't say. Uh, I'm now pretty clear on what I can and can't say. Um, and that's why you won't hear any details here. You just see the general terms. But mm -hmm. even within the guides, you won't get the really specific go to this website, put 10 grand into this project um, because I'll end up in jail. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that's not the point of it either. The point is to educate people on something that was a huge gap in all our knowledge as we were growing up. Um, you know, none of us were taught this, so this is plugging a huge, huge hole in our knowledge. Yeah, and there's a few sort of little phrases where if people start getting daily emails, you'll hear a couple of choice phrases come out. So, Truxit proof is my favourite. Go on, what's that? So... Truxit proof means it doesn't matter what Donald Trump says or what he tweets. It doesn't matter, matter what happens with Brexit. There's certain stuff out there that doesn't care. It doesn't matter what happens in the macro world. It will still provide you a return. Can you give an example? Sports betting is a good one. Sports betting. Okay, now, that, right, hold on, hold on, hold on. You've gone down this road of saying how you are risk averse, you're in risk management, all the rest of it. And then you lob the hand grenade of sports betting yeah. in there. How does this work? Yeah, and it's actually the guide for December. So it's the first one I'm getting deep into outside of the three that I've written at the start. Um, and it's because it's tax-free. So winnings are still tax-free. Um, you don't have to pay annual management fees like you do with a lot of things. You don't have to pay to withdraw your money. You, don't, you actually even get money in, as an incentive when you sign up. And there will always be football being played somewhere. There will be under-23s, Icelandic women's football even if, um, you know, some really terrible event happens. Um, I like the idea of that. So this is uh, an investment that can be made regardless of the geopolitical environment. There will always be sport being played until yeah. we all are wiped off this earth. Yes, yeah, so I think if, uh, if football stops, we've got bigger things to worry about. Yeah. Um, okay, so how on earth can you make sports betting um, an investment. Yep, so you take the emotion out of it. This is the way to do it. Okay, so, I'm, I'm a Leeds United supporter, so, okay, I, so my, emotion has gone, my emotion has gone already. Top of the league. You know? uh, my villa are struggling uh, in that same division. But um, but anyway, you take same with any investment, take the emotion out of it. So how could you invest in that where you're not you know, putting a tenfold accumulator on and watching Gillette Soccer Saturday praying that that tenth one comes in so you earn a grand off a quid? Right, That is not the way to invest in sports okay. betting. The way to invest in sports betting is preferably to find someone who knows way more than you know and just copy what they do in a really rigid way. Take your profit out, stick it in your account, and you know keep going with the remainder. Okay, and this is pretty much an approach for stocks and shares for many people. Yeah, yeah. and people may be struggling with their um, 
especially they've got an index tracker at the moment. I think I've, I wrote something about that the other day. Right? I'm not sure what it's down since May. I was going to short it in May. I was going to short the FTSE in May. Actually, this is one key thing. In Gorilla Investors, you won't hear anything about the stock market. I may possibly get onto calls, puts and options later, but it's not planned. Um, but just because you've probably already got exposure to it. Your pension's in it. You might be investing other money in it. The idea is, okay, if the FTSE starts plummeting and you want to take your money out, where else could you put it? Yeah. Yeah, so this is, you're explaining to people uh, investments, alternative investments, uh, that would be very difficult to, A, find out about as a concept to begin with, but then also find it difficult to know someone to trust or find out how it actually works. And when you're talking about find someone who's really good at it uh, and you can follow them, again, uh, that's not easy to find out there, is it? No, I, I struggled. I, I've spent you know four or five hours reading for most of this year on this topic, um, and it's only really now that I feel like I can talk about what I've found. Yeah. Um, so if somebody's got a full-time job, they don't have that time to delve into this stuff. And I was also telling people what I was doing, telling people what I was investing in, which means more people started, oh, have you heard about this website or have you gone here? Um, so yeah, I think this is why I believe that there's there's nothing else like it really that I've found. You, you can't easily find out about alternative investments, possibly because the regulator doesn't want you to really find too much, because it thinks everyone's going to pile all their money into one thing. Um, well, this happened when they were talking about the pensions, and they said, "Oh, well, as soon as you can withdraw money from pensions," they go. said everyone's going to drive around in Ferraris and they're going to blow their pension pot. Exactly. Well, here's the weird thing, folks, and uh, the government and uh, all those people out there. Actually, people who've taken the time to put money aside into their pension, who you know, are normally pretty sensible type of people yep. who actually want that money to grow and not to go crazy and risk it all on the flip of a coin or something like that. So I think sometimes uh, people's fears are, are misplaced in this sort of thing. And what people that you're doing is you give people the information, give people the ability to do something with it, and then say to them, okay, now it's your choice. Yeah, exactly right. And it's interesting what you said about the pensions because um, I went to a drinks event with one of the companies we've, um, one of the platforms we've invested some peer-to-peer money with. So I went to one in, in the summer and it's majority 50 plus people who invest in peer-to-peer. They've said it, the company leads have said the same. The, the typical customer is over 50, which means they've probably either taken access, taken control of their pension or they're looking to utilise the innovative ISAs nowadays. So 20 grand tax-free, you could invest in peer-to-peer. And if you're earning, you know, just under 10%, tax-free is not, not too shabby. Um, well, compound that over the next 10, 15 years. Well, there's, there was the first ISA millionaire, wasn't there? I think um, last year, I think. But I think he'd done it through stocks and shares. But that was why the, while the market was going crazy. Now the FTSE's tanking a bit. So um, I'm sure that guy's probably looking at innovative ISAs instead. Yeah, yeah. But the, I mean, it's, uh, it's fascinating stuff. And, and really, uh, we are not as a population exposed to this. And I can understand why, because the regulator will suddenly think, oh, my goodness, because you always get with, with anything, you always get people who um, see something that's great, see something that is, um, you know, on the bandwagon, as it were, and you'll always get the people that then try and scam people from yeah, it. Yeah. And this is why the sophisticated investor rule was there to protect people so that people had to display a level of uh, investment knowledge, savviness before they could do these sort of things. Um, and it's beholden as well on the person suggesting the investment to prove 
should it come down to it, that the person has signed uh, to say they are sophisticated and potentially that you have checked out that they are earning £100,000 a year as opposed to you find it strange that you see them working behind the counter at the newsagents um, every day um, because you know then they're unlikely to be earning the hundred thousand on that, but but there we go. Um, yeah, and actually, just, so, if you don't mind me picking up on that, because yeah, the, um, yeah. So the the aim with the the whole guerrilla investors, um, well, business really is that people can well they can get this high net worth sophisticated investor report for free. Um, you'll then hear my daily ramblings, but you'll get some quite useful information within those. If you then choose to subscribe, you get these three reports, and then you'll get a new one every month. But then the the next step up is actually there will be a small group of people. Um, who will have to be high net worth or sophisticated. I'm actually going to follow a company who really grilled me um, to make sure I could invest. Apparently, 50% of their customers dropped out at the compliance stage. So I'm going to, to allow people into that, they'll have to provide proof, they'll have to pass a questionnaire, and I'll even have to go on a call with them to make sure that, that also it's worth their while. So they would need to have a, enough in their alternative investment. You, you don't want it, it to be their well. last penny. No, there's uh, no and, point. And they've got some big bills coming up. There's no point. No. It's only to help people who, who yeah, have the means to you know, have the amount in their alternative investment pot, not their whole investable pot, their alternative investment pot to make it worthwhile. Um, but for those people, yeah, I know some really interesting stuff that we're investing in ourselves. And um, yeah, there's some really good Truxit proof stuff out there. Truxit. Yeah, yeah there's the word. There's yeah. the word, folks, Truxit. Um, one of the things I would... I'm always thinking is that anyone listening to the podcast and how to raise money, if you do have a really good business idea, um, and it, it may be just an idea, then, you know, people like Stephen are the people you need to be talking to, get in touch with us uh, here on the podcast, Ray or myself, because sometimes an idea, it can't be uh, necessarily worked out and so you can't show a working model to someone or something that you've kind of built or created especially on the IP fintech side of things but if you've got a great idea where you see a problem and you've got a solution for it then there are people who will invest you know initially and subsequent rounds of uh, money uh, raising for you know ideas that people have, have had so the two guys who did Stripe you know they will have uh, made people interested in it and those people will have gone mm, I'll have a share of that yeah yeah give me a piece of that yeah and there's there's lots there will always this is another one that I always think about so people get quite afraid of the times we're in you know Brexit and uh, you know and are Italy going to default and all these other things yeah well it could happen um, but there will always be opportunity um, and that yeah I think I mentioned there's going to be something on business acquisition later uh, I went through a really good training course it's one of the only two there's only going to be two things I'll ever be an affiliate for uh, this is one of them because it's brilliant um, and there could be a great opportunity for business acquisition post Brexit everyone panics everyone thinks oh no the world's going to end um, you might be able to pick up some really good businesses yeah but I mean there's 60 70 million people here um, Europe is not suddenly going to go oh well we'll forget you um, business in Europe is going to just still demand to to do business with the UK because they've got to. Yeah, yeah. There's a, any good company. Good companies will always get investment. Good ideas will get investment. Um, and if you've got smart people running them, they will succeed because they always have done through history. Yeah, yeah. We're not we're not inventing something here. We're just exposing people to uh, through this to to more. 
um, variations on a theme. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's nothing more complicated. It's um, I think we were talking earlier. So my wife and I, we've got eight streams of income. Um, it's actually Rob's book that got me onto all that. And when I read it, I was like, exactly. That's why I keep saying to my mates, you need more options. You need more streams of income. So some of those are ones at the moment. Like my wife's got, she has part-time work through the university she used to work at in Hertfordshire. She now does it from home. Um, but she could turn up those hours probably quite easily. They're, they're all, she's always busy, so she could do more than two and a half days a week. Um, I could go out and look for another non-exec role, which I'm fairly actively doing anyway at the moment. Um, so we could switch some of those on uh, a bit more when other things aren't going so well. Um, but the idea with our, all our investments is we're not going to take a penny out of them. We're going to compound them. As soon as they pay back, we stick that whole amount into the next thing. Um, that could potentially double some of those pots in five to ten years quite easily. And this is not, um, you know, sort of rocket science. It's not, um, yeah, all right, you've got to have the sophisticated investor uh, knowledge in there, but um, there, there are ways of getting to that point where you could be classed as a sophisticated investor. Um, so this is within reach of people. I, I think it definitely is. Um, I, I've, I'm lucky. I've got a few mates who I bounce a lot of stuff off. These are some of them. Like One of them is one of my best mates from school, and he did really well on Ethereum last year, and we have this little WhatsApp group, Crypto Geeks. You know, There's only three of us, but we talk about stuff that's going on in crypto world. Um, but that's just it's just finding places to learn more. You know, um, And if you can fast-track your, your way by somebody telling, saying to you, well, here's a 12- or 16-page guide, uh, there's always next steps, by the way. At the end, there's next steps for retail investors, next step for high net worth and sophisticated, next step for business owners, because actually this is as much for business owners with excess cash in their account um, as it is for, for cash-rich time poor professionals. So, um, yeah, here's where you can get started. Here's your next steps. Off you go. Um, yeah, and if people can't turn the monthly subscription into a multiple of what they've paid for it, they're not taking action. And that's often the biggest thing, isn't it? Yeah. Now... Before I forget, you mentioned a book that uh, you said Rob Moore did. What was the book title? Oh, yeah, I Love Life Leverage. I tell, Life everyone, leverage. To, I tell everyone to read that. And then okay. that got me onto Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Work Week and yeah. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and you, you, know, you, you snowball when you get into you all those themes. And you almost get to the point where you can't stop. Profit Profit <laughs> First is the best one. That's a oh, great one. Mike Listen to that at the moment. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I'm on that at the moment. Um, yeah. But I love Daniel Priestley's books. They're great as well. Entrepreneur's revolution. Key person of influence. Key person of influence. Yeah, and I think the E myth comes up a lot on your one. The E myth is brilliant. Yeah, that is a very simple breakdown of okay. um, Yes, you can start a business by being all these different roles, but in order to grow, you're going to have to at some point appoint someone into those roles to help your business grow. Um, So yeah, that's a great breakdown as to how a business can be put together. Um, Okay, so. Where do you see this going? What's the end game? What's what's the point of this? You you wanting to help a few people, a lot of people. What is it? Um, I I would love to help a lot of people. Um, I'm not sure if this is something that you would take into schools. Um, although there is a personal finance 101 guide as one of the, the first three, but I think it's aimed more at people who weren't taught this at school, who are in their 30s to 60s or wherever, um, and they they just want to be able to access things that are apparently closed off to everyone. They, they want to hear about the really juicy, interesting stuff. What they then do with that information is up to them. Um, but 
yeah, try and get some people who are subscribing. We're then going to do an annual event as well called the Git Together, yeah, um, which hasn't been booked or anything yet. But it, yeah, GI together. together, yeah, I've yeah. already got the website if anyone tries to nick it. Um, but <laughs> if, uh, you see, folks, he's de risked that one yeah, already yeah, as well. Yeah, I've got that. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to just get it out there. I mean, the, the, the reports come in PDF form, they're 12 to 16 pages, they're quite easy to read, um, and then people take action. And, and you're probably thinking that, okay, right, we, you know, there'll be multiple ones, each month something different. Some of them will resonate with you, some of them will chime, some of them you'll think, that's me, and some you'll just think, mm, nah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's fine. That's fine. But you need to be exposed to all these alternative investments in order to, uh, to think, okay, what could I do that's different? Yeah, and I'm an ex-chief risk officer. I've got a risk management qualification from the Institute of Risk Management in London a couple of years ago. That taught me some stuff that I didn't know and I now use every single day, just the really simple risk management techniques. Well, I've noticed you're wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah. <laughs> you're scared of bumping into things. Yeah, I'm a bit, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's all the football injuries. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, I mean, one of the other things, going back to pensions, so... Um, when, when people are sort of thinking, well, I don't necessarily have any money uh, available for this, um, I don't necessarily have any wealth, what a lot of people are, are finding at the moment is that if uh, public sector excluded, because you can't withdraw that, but other pension pots, people are inquiring as to what's in their pension pot, and they are being surprised sometimes by the amounts in there. I know I've gone through the process um, of creating a SAS, mm-hmm. Uh, which is one that um, it, it takes your pension out of uh, the company scheme and it gives you the opportunity to have some more control and decision-making over the investment. And then I remember there's an awful lot of questions. You can't just do this willy-nilly. Uh, the person involved has to make sure that you understand what you're doing and that the responsibility is now yours. They will take an opinion as to whether they think you are a sensible person or some foolhardy person who will just go out and have a one hell of a night out. Um, but one of the questions was, why do you want to do this? And for me, I said, do you know what? When you look at your pension statement every year as to, so this is a deferred pension for when I'm I'm going to retire. This will be what it is. I look at it and I think, well, that's kind of 10 seconds of curiosity followed by another year of indifference. And one of the questions you know, why do you want to do this? I said, well, if I'm actually in control of it and in control of the investment and in control of what I can do with that money, to me, that would be a hell of a lot more fun. There you go. And that's that's the whole nature of this as well, is I, I just don't want someone else telling me what to do. I, I just don't want it. I'd rather be told about as much as possible for my own opinion based on my own personal circumstances and then decide what to do. And, and ideally dip my toe a bit, figure out what I think, don't risk the house, and then if I like it, when I've dipped my toe, well, then I'll just keep going. Yeah, and, and you always sort of say, okay, if I've made the initial investment back, I've got my money back, the rest is... Well, that's what I've got. You know, I've for got, fun. Well, I've got 12 cryptocurrencies now, and it's just the profit from the Ethereum stuff. So I pulled the Bitcoin out, just banked that and used it, you know. Um, but I just left the Ethereum there for a bit and then just divvied it out into 12 different coins. If one of those takes off and goes nuts, brilliant. And, yeah. it's, and it's pure profit. Yeah, so you, you're almost doing this for free. That that's that investment is. Yeah, yeah. that one's pure. And, and you could, like I say, coming back to the sports betting, if you're smart and if you're really rigid, read Irresistible by Adam Alter before you do any sports betting. Uh, it's all about behavioural addictions. It links to social media as well. 
um, but educate again, educate yourself as, as in that will highlight if you might have an addictive personality, but and this might not be the correct. best thing to do for you. Correct, but there are still options for people within the sports betting, even if you have that type of um, you know, if you're worried that you just blow it all, um, you know, you sort of struggle with because online casinos in the past or something. Um, but with the sports betting, there are actually bonds being created now. Um, which I won't talk about too much because it's for the small group. Yeah, it's, it's teasing it's, us again, folks. Yeah, it's sorry, teasing sorry. us again. No, 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 I don't mean to, but just because I can't not talk about it because it really takes the emotion out of sports betting. Right. But it's not fair to talk about it too much because it's really ace, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good stuff. So, I mean, if if you were thinking to yourself, okay, I'm not too sure how to raise money, for a lot of people, releasing it from the pensions is a great way to access uh, some some funds. Whether they would meet the criteria for your trustees to allow the pension to invest in some of these is a moot point. It depends very much on the, the trustees. But um, for a lot of this information here, this is a, something that will kind of open up people's minds and they'll think, how did I not know this? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it definitely can be. And I think come back to the regulator. So I'm not anti-regulation at all. I think it's there for a reason. And, you know, you could argue it should be tighter for certain things and we might not have had the financial crisis and what have you. But at the same time, it, it kind of acknowledges that no one was taught this stuff in school. Um, yeah. Because, and it's trying to keep everyone safe and secure. But there are people out there who've been really successful in whatever they're doing and they're, they're smart. They're smart people. So why can't smart people have access to all the different options that are out there? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the more that they make, hopefully the more they can spread around, spread the love, spread the money, make the world a happy place, hey? Yeah, and don't, um, don't you know, succumb to double digititis, which is another one. That's my double, second word. Double digititis. So, so everyone's forgotten how interest rates used to be higher, right? Oh, I know this I comes have, up all no, the time, No, I haven't right? forgotten. Yeah, yeah, but, but I think a lot of people have now. So when you say that something earns 10% a year, like, whoa, oh, no, no, it must be really risky. I'm, I'm risk-averse, me. Yeah. I'd, I'd go to town on what risk-averse really means in one of these guides um, because, to me... Um, you know, have, if, if you found something that had good security behind it, say low, say a property type of investment, good security, low loan to value in a good part of the country. Like, there was never a recession in St. Albans, Harrogate or Bath in 2008-9 because people always want to live there. Um, so don't be put off by good returns. Just make sure you analyse the risk. You know, some, something that's paying you 2% could be bloody risky. Um, something paying 10 might actually be really not that risky. Yeah, I mean, that's... Wise words there. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Um, so in terms of uh, getting in contact with you? Yeah, so um, yeah, the, the website is gorilla, so G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, although if you spell, if you misspell it, you'll still get appointed to it. Uh, how, uh, ma- how many variations on the I've domain name? I've got about four. Are they all yeah. pointed there? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. De-risk. But gorilla investors with an S at the end, dot com. Um, if you go there, you, you'll see the website. It, you know, you can, at the top, you can sign up for the free, um, get the free guide, you can get the daily emails. Um, subscribers, I didn't mention this, but subscribe. I like the, the people who write books and then uh, or have subscription. They say you can then contact me at any time. Just let's not become best mates, but you can ask me anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is open. for the subscribers. Definitely, they can ask me absolutely anything. You mentioned about business questions earlier or how I went about networking to get the non-exec role. I'd happily tell people about that because I think I learned a lot um, about getting focused and, you know, using your time effectively and things like that. And I'll, I'll share any of that information with people. Um, so yeah, I think first port of call is go to the website, you'll get this report free. If you then opt out straight away, fine, you know, 
Uh, you'll get something for free, uh, and you'll probably learn quite a bit just from that that guide. Fabulous. Well, is there anything else that we've missed here? Anything else that our listeners could uh, could glean? There's obviously a lot there on the website and uh, in in future things. But anything else that uh, you think people should know? Have options. Plan Have B. Options. Plan B. Side hustles. I think they call it in the US, which I, I'm not I a big fan of that phrase. No, but I don't like the phrase hustle. Yeah. Hustle to me sounds like you're working busy. Yeah. True. You know, you you're, you're under pressure, and it's it's time consuming. And we. Um, We'll be talking about it in uh, another podcast, actually, uh, called The Dad Business, um, which is why we kind of, you want to balance being a, a dad and running a business, and you don't want all these side hustles that are taking all your time and, no, no. And, and, you know, making you feel poorly. No, there's actually one guide I'm considering at the moment, but I think I might be able to build into another, which is uh, what is and what is not an armchair investment. So mm. some people think... So you need an armchair, armchair, first of all. So first you need an armchair, a nice comfy one. But my aim with most of them is that they should be armchair because I don't want it taking my time yeah. away from my family. Um, so a lot of the stuff I invest in, I don't have to do anything about it on a daily, weekly or even monthly basis. And, and that is the true definition of an investor, isn't it? It's not a manager. It's not an owner, a business owner. It's not none of those things. It's an investor. You wouldn't expect if I went and bought some Marks and Spencer shares on the stock market, I wouldn't expect to have to bob down and, and run a store or something like that. So this is what we're talking about because then it gives you the time to spend with your family. Exactly. And that's this is how also people can build up stuff on the site. So say you've got a really busy full-time job, but there are things out there that are proper armchair. You just stick it in, you leave it, you forget about it. But you never know. If you had a reasonable pot sat there you know, do, that wasn't doing anything, you never know. You might be able to create create um, a type of income from that, such that you don't need your job or you don't need as many hours in your job. Um, and that's what we're doing. My, my wife does twenty hours a week um, in her in her actual job. Um, I do about ten hours a month with the guys in Leeds, um, and then I split my time with other things. But my aim is never to work more than thirty a week. I don't, I don't want to work more than thirty hours a week. I don't think I should. I don't think I have to. Um, if I'm if I'm being smart with my time and money. There you go, and you're going to share that knowledge so other people can make that choice as well. Yeah, exactly. Stephen, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us here on How to Raise Money podcast. Have you enjoyed that? Yeah, very much. Thanks, Nigel. Yeah, thanks go. for having me on. Hey, no, 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 it's great. And uh, who knows, everyone, next week we might uh, let Ray out of the kitchen. He's, he's taking ages making that cup of tea, but uh, we'll, we'll get him to make one soon enough. And uh, you'll hear from Ray and myself, Nigel Best, uh, on the next episode of How to Raise Money. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. You can find all that at howtoraisemoney.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Ray underscore McLennan and Nigel Best at Positive Nigel. You can check the blog at raisingangelfinance.blogspot.co.uk. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?